Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 72 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Larry Zonka. And I'm joined here by my affable co-host, former market maker, 20 years and current day retail trader. A man, if he wasn't too busy chasing skirts, he could have played football for our guest here today. A legend of House Street. I'm talking about VWAP Trader 1. JJ, how's it going, man? Good, brother. How you doing? I'm doing good, doing good. And our guest today is a former NFL football coach and current television sports analyst. He's won three Super Bowls, and at the point of his first head coach hire, he was the youngest ever to assume that role. I am talking about the man who made an appearance on the greatest TV show of all time. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about the man genius, Eric Mangini. Coach, how's it going? It's good. I was hoping you're going to throw a few more AKAs in there with my name. You know? Oh, well, I, I mean, I think you got one of the best AKAs, man, genius. Uh, just amazing, man. That, that was such a classic moment uh, in TV history, in my opinion, uh, your appearance on The Sopranos. Coach, just tell us what that day on set was like. Well, first of all, I was I was a huge fan of the show. I, I watched it with my wife and it started, I think, when we were in New England. And I loved it. And then I was on a I was on a bus ride coming back from the, the a Golden Gloves tournament. And I get this phone call and and the person says, you know, producer from The Sopranos, would you like to be on it? And I'm thinking, come on, this this can't be real. Who, who you know, I thought someone was was giving me a hard time. And they said, no, seriously, we, we, we want you to be on. I'm like, yeah, I would love to be on it. And so we we go down to to the set and we're in the scene. We're in Vesuvio's. And I remember uh, just being in awe of the, in the, the environment and then appreciating the, the level of detail. We were there for eight hours oh, wow. filming wow. the episode and we were on for what, maybe two or three seconds and, and, you know, having conversations and, and having to adjust the script. Cause originally I was supposed to be friends with Tony, but okay they said it probably isn't a good idea because people will, will be angry about that. And I thought the TV show, why would anybody be angry about yeah. that? But the reality is I got multiple emails after that saying, how could you associate with the mob? How could you be? And I'm thinking, okay, we got to keep this in perspective. I wasn't sending any sort of, any sort of message here. It was just a, a, a really cool opportunity. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's amazing. People would even make that connection. And I, I remember when the show was even airing, uh, you know, I'm Italian. Uh, you're you're Italian as well, coach. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I remember like uh, the Italian Coalition for America. I don't know. Italian American. Some organization was really upset with the show and trying to get the show shut down because of its portrayal of Italian Americans. Uh, it's art. I, I don't know. I, I don't know why people really uh, get hung up on these things. I'm not sure. Yeah, James Gandolfini was was amazing. He was a big Jets fan. I, I don't yeah. know if you know that, but yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but he was he was great uh, on set, and and he was the one that said, "Look, you you can't be friends with me. We got to change this. It's it's not going to look good." And I'm thinking, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah, that was that was one thing I did. That the the other show that I I actually was really excited to do was Sesame Street. Oh, okay. I know, oh, I know, wow. <laughs> yeah. So when I when we had the the good first season, you had an opportunity to to potentially be on a late night show. And I said, you know, I'd really love to be on Sesame street. My son loved Elmo and Mr. Noodle. Mm -hmm. And we ended up doing a segment with, with a bunch of players on Sesame street. And that was, 
that was pretty amazing too, just growing up with it. Ray, you're probably too young for Sesame Street, but you know, for 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 me, it was it was a big part of our childhood. Definitely. Sure, sure. No, that's excellent. I did, I did coach, by the way, when I was little. I did watch Sesame Street. Oh, you did? You caught I a couple did, of shows. Uh huh. So probably some of the perks, huh? Being a coach in New York, what was there? Was there any bit of a difference when you were in Cleveland? Um, I, I guess as far as like media attention and things of that nature. Yeah, that look. That, that was that was fun doing that, and if you win, there's there's a ton of perks. Yeah. But even the, the, the whole New York experience is you get to go do it Sesame Street. But as I'm walking in to do Sesame Street, holding my son's hand, we it was a, a Tuesday and we hadn't played very well against Buffalo in the second half the, the Sunday before. And this truck driver's driving by. And he's like, hey, man, Jeannie, thanks for that pile of shit you put on the field on Sunday. And my son's like, Dad, why is that? Why is that man yelling at you? And I'm like, I, I, am not sure. I, you don't worry about it. But it's that, you know, it comes, it comes with, with, with both sides. Sure, sure. Yeah, it comes with the territory. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, and then that's what I guess. While, while we're on the topic, I was going to ask you this. I was going to ask you who's more uh, brutal, uh, fan wise, Jets or uh, Browns. That's that's a that's a great question. Now in New York, there's so many teams that that people and and so many things to to do and and things that draw people's attention that sometimes even when you're not playing as well you may not get as intense um focus now there is also a significantly more people but in cleveland the the browns are our religion and uh that's outside of ohio state it's 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 the browns so they can be they can be pretty pretty intense and there's there's frustration there's years of frustration built up Mm -hmm. so it's not like you necessarily walk in with a with a blank slate there's a little more skepticism for anybody who comes in yeah yeah sure all right and a reminder to the listeners if you would like to join jj myself and a supportive community of traders you join us at microefutures.com coach like we were talking about before we got on camera a lot of similarities um comparisons that we can draw from football and trading and I think they both, it both really stems from being performance-based uh, activities. Uh, I'm going to ask you about your experiences coaching and hopefully be able to tie it back into trading. But, you know, before we, we jump into that, during your college years, um, I know you went abroad to Australia. Your brother lives over there. He's an investment banker. This is what you were first looking into to get into a career, correct? Yeah, I, I never, ever in a million years thought I'd coach football. It was not on my radar screen. I thought coaches were just gym teachers with, with whistles on it. And I go to Australia and this is um, my junior year. He, he, my brother's there. He convinced me to do a semester abroad. I'm going to the university of Melbourne. And uh, when I get there, there's not internet's not a real thing. Cable's not very big. My brother's working all the time. I've got this downtime before I start college. I don't know anybody there. So this woman he works with is at a sporting goods store and this, this guy Stan long is trying to get to know her and, and is bragging about how he's coaching American football there. So she goes back, tells my brother, he tells me, I go see Stan and ask him if I can volunteer thinking, okay, this would be a cool way to, to get to know people. And so he's coaching a team called the Doncaster devils. I asked him if I can, can go out with him. He says, sure. We go out and it takes about 10 minutes to realize that Stan long looked like a football player, but had no idea about, about coaching. And, and again, this was before the internet, was a big deal. So you couldn't research guys. You were kind of taking them at their word. So about two weeks into it, the devils had been a good team. They got sick of Stan. They, they fired him. And um, they asked if I would help out. And I said, 
you know, I'm not really in a position to do that, but I'll, I like everybody here. I'll try to help as much as I can. And so Ray, we had this thing called faxes. I don't know if you're familiar with oh, that yeah. either. Yeah. So <laughs> my college coach used to fax me information in the morning. I'd look at the faxes, then I'd uh, study it. I'd implement stuff. Two weeks go by, too much damage is done. The, the devil's fold. So I think, okay, I'm done with football <clears throat> in Australia. And I go back to start Melbourne University, a group of guys I became friends with, went to a different team. They said, come just take a look. And so I had had such a good time doing that, that I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll look at it. End up becoming the de facto head coach, defensive coordinator, get to the, the summertime. I got to go back and make, make some money because I was on financial aid and I needed it for, for school. And they said, well, what would it take for you to stay? And I told them they took care of that and we ended up winning the championship. And it was this amazing experience. And I thought, okay, you know, it started to creep in that maybe this is something I want to do. And they said, we well, come back next year and, and do it next season. The seasons are opposite of, of what we have here. So their football season is in the spring. So I went back and coached uh, the second year, brought a buddy of mine to be the offensive coordinator. We win the championship again. And at that point I thought, okay, this, this is something I, I, I want to explore. And uh, the, the only job that I could get after I finished college, you know, that following fall was as a ball boy for, for the Cleveland Browns. My college coach had become an offensive assistant for the Browns. And he said, that's the way that I could, could get into the door. And so, you know, that, that's, that's where it all started. It started as, as a ball boy and kind of moved up from there. Yeah. Yeah. And incredible, incredible how things work. Uh, Did you, did you pick up any, uh, uh, anything from your brother, anything in college while you were, were studying for this, any tips you took away from investing? Uh, well, the one thing that, that I saw is how hard he worked mm-hmm. and how hard now as a young guy in, in the investment banking, I mean, he, he set an example that, that was hard to, to follow. He was, he was there and I'm sure JJ, that this is pretty mm-hmm. consistent with the world. He was there all the time. He was, he was working weekends. It was seven days a week and, oh, yeah. you know, Parcells, um, when, when he had his first meeting at the jets, the first time I was ever in a meeting with him, he said, he said, you know, I'm going to give you three very simple tools to be successful. And he said, it's beyond time. Shows you're responsible, shows you mature, shows your care. You care. He said, pay attention. You know, everybody here is trying to help you. And sometimes you got to listen very carefully because opportunity knocks softly. And then he said, work hard. He said, the NFL will make you rich. It can make you famous. It can do all these things, but you can't buy a championship. And, and to me, the, the work hard is, is the consistent thing, regardless of, of what you're doing, because the, as much as we want to shortcut things and find hacks and, and find simpler ways to do it, I mean, if you don't have that, that work ethic, you got no chance. Vesting, football, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, and I would, I would assume JJ uh, and Coach, I'd imagine you guys probably worked very similar hours, or at least quantity of hours, uh, at the height of your guys' careers. I'd imagine. JJ, definitely, yeah. definitely. I mean, twenty years. I mean, eighteen years of my life, pretty much. You know, uh, twenty-hour days. Um, you know, um, especially yeah, it, deals don't wait for anyone. It's just. Um, <laughs> 
you know, uh, trading too, you know, when you're trading and you're trading a couple of different markets, you know, your clients want you to be, you got to be available uh, 24-7. Um, and uh, if you're not, there's a lineup of other people, you know, I always say, I, it was always a speed dial away from being replaced, you know. Emma- so, my, my sister used to say to me sometimes, my oldest sister, you know, you're, you're so lucky. You got that opportunity with Cleveland. It's lucky. And, it, and it, it used to frustrate me because I think of the, the weekends I missed, the times with friends I missed, the family events I missed, the, the late nights and all those things. And, and the reality is the harder you work, the luckier you get. And, it, and it, it's not just going to fall into your lap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I, I look at trading the same way too, JJ. It's like, you know, um, because a lot of what we do coach, you know, I could make a bad trade and win or, and I could make a good trade and actually lose. And so like the, the, the luck factor is always there, but, uh, but it's like, that's not what we focus on. We focus on the process. We focus on, uh, you know, reviewing just, you know, it's similar to football, right? Like, you know, there's, there's some lucky bounces in football as well, but if your team prepared well, you feel like you came in a good game plan, uh, I think that's all you control and there's outside variables. You don't control what the refs do, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I'd say, Ray, there, there's always people that get lucky to win a game and and there's yeah. some teams that, that luck strikes and and you win a Super Bowl. but if you're going to have sustainable success, yeah. you better have a, a process that works. You better have an ability to, to refine that process. You better have a, a clear vision of, of what you believe in, be able to articulate that. And otherwise, can, can you get can you get a one off? Can you hit a big trade one time? Yeah, probably. And 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 look, it's happening a lot, right? Aren't there a lot of traders now that are kind of rushing into the market and and maybe hitting big because momentum is going that way? But you know, at the end of the day, they're probably going to be be losing a lot more money than they make. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like, are they are they still going to be able to trade in five years? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's that type of thing. It's a long run game. You know, anything can happen in the short term. I think, Coach, like, uh, I think probably the most obvious thing that stands out to me of relating football and trading is, is the discipline. Because, um, you know, you could have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the discipline, uh, you're not going to win. Um, what ways did you go about instilling discipline with your teams? Or, you know, I think, too, like, it, it almost seems, you know, these players have been playing football their whole lives. You think by the time they would get to you, they would have discipline. What, what was kind of your experience with that? And how would you go about it with the teams? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in discipline. I'm a big believer in the adage that discipline isn't something that you do to someone. It's something that you do for someone. And, mm-hmm. and trying to, to articulate that, especially when I got to, to the Jets and how important that was, uh, was, was, was difficult. Because, look, everybody wants to, to win and, and everybody wants to be successful. But to do the things that you have to do to get to that point that's, that's, that's a grind. That's, that's consistent. That's when it's, when it's, uh, when things are going well, when things are going poor, poorly, when you're, when you're tired, when you're, you know, right on, right on down the line. First year at the Jets, we, I think we broke a team record for, for fines. And the next year we were in the bottom five. And, and once everybody understood how things we're going to operate and then why they needed to operate at that level. Uh, it, it was a lot easier, but it's, it's, um, it's not an easy thing to, to install initially. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting to me because, like, I you know, I think of a player on the Jets right now who I thought had um, came out of college. I think he went to Miami, uh, uh, Chris Herndon, a tight end. And this guy has all the athletic talent in the world, and he's buried on the depth chart now. Like, he's always been like a sleeper, people talking about, oh, watch out for him. And he has all the talent in the world. I just imagine he's not like just uh, for whatever reason. I don't know if these guys just rely on their talent coming up to them at the pros and then it just doesn't, they don't have that love of the game or the discipline. Um, I guess, is that something that would happen frequently coach? Yeah. Unfortunately you, you, you have debates all the time in, in the draft room about yeah. potential. This guy's got unbelievable potential. This guy, um, you know, should be able to, to project it to, to do, you know, X, Y, and Z, but in, in, unless they're willing to take advantage of the opportunities that they have, unless that potential is married with some sort of character, then you've got no chance. And I, I'm a huge believer in, in, in character. And I, I think that, uh, you know, I say this all the time too, where, where ability sets the floor and character really sets the ceiling. When you've got guys with high character, then average becomes good, good becomes great, great becomes a Hall of Famer. And there's so many guys that, you know, they'll look back at their career and think, you know, why didn't it work out? And maybe they'll blame it on a coach or maybe they'll blame it on, you know, I didn't get the, I didn't get the best chance. Those, those are excuses for the most part. And, and, you know, if you, if you don't take advantage of the opportunities and the, and the things that you've been given, somebody else is more than willing to, to, to rush in and JJ said it, you know, it, it, it never stops. And there's always someone there that's willing to take the opportunity that, that you're not taking advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. Sp- speaking of, of the, the drafting, I, I think you and Tannebaum, I, I know a lot of people, not just myself, give you, give you credit for that run the Jets had the next two years after you left in those AFC championships drafted some really good players. You, cause you and Tannebaum worked in tandem, right? It wasn't, it was, it wasn't just one person had to say, Correct. No, one one of the things that I I really loved about working with Mike is that we could we could disagree without being disagreeable, and and, nice. and yeah, we could we could go into a room, fight, discuss all those different things, but at the end of the day, we were going to come out and and be on the same page. And if a player ever came in to Mike's office and said, "Hey, I you know I'm unhappy with with Eric," he'd call me up and I'd go in and we'd talk it out together with the player. The same thing. I'm unhappy with Mike. I, I would do the same thing for him. So I always appreciated uh, that ability to to work through things. And and I think it's more rare than the than the norm, at least in the NFL, to to be able to to disagree and and, and still find a, a space that you can land on. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. No. No. I'm asking a little bit more about some of that later on. So, Coach, you were, you were in charge of holding the team accountable. How did you hold yourself accountable? Well, it's it's interesting because I had I was lucky in the sense of of the football fathers that I had, mm-hmm. and, and being able to see Bill Parcells and and how he operated, and then seeing Bill Belichick and how he operated. And, and the thing about Bill Belichick or a guy like Tom Brady is they they live what Parcells was talking about the success the fame the money those things those things didn't change them they they worked the same way every day and so as a young person being able to see what that work ethic looked like and 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 to see the focus that they they both had uh 
it was it was a great example so that when I went to be a head coach, I knew what I was competing against. I wasn't just competing against that every now and then. It was yeah. twice a year I had to compete against that. And he had years and years of a head start in terms of of his uh, his football knowledge and experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, you know what you're going up against. So it, it, you can't. It's, it's got to be full effort. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and just talking about getting lucky, you know, when you when you lost to New England or, or teams like New England, you could stomach it a little bit more because you knew what they put into that game. You knew that the players were smart. You knew that there was discipline and you knew that you got beat. And then you lose to some other teams and you know what that organization's like and what that team's like. And you're thinking this, this is, this is terrible. (laughs) Losing is terrible period, but losing to someone that, you know, didn't work as hard as you. Yeah. Awful. I, I, I can, I can relate like to, you know, that could happen like in poker, like when I was playing poker really serious, it's like, cause there's just such a huge element of luck as well in that in poker. And like, just knowing I, I'm better than this guy. Yeah. It hurts. It hurts way more when you know, when you know you're better. Uh, yeah. It's always tough. Um, you know, coach, obviously all the teams, you guys would watch endless amount of game film. Um, you know, me and JJ always use that analogy, right? Jay, we all, all the time of all watching time. game film to equating it to reviewing our trades, yep. you know, the same thing. We go back, we study ourselves, what we could do better. Uh, what we're going to do going forward. But, you know, I, if you're a good trader, I'm assuming that's what everyone does. If you're, you know, all the NFL teams watch a lot of game film. Where do you think your edge came from when it came to game planning uh, in a strategy perspective? Well, for, first, in, in terms of reviewing the game film, w- one of the things that we would do after every game and then carry this, I carried it over in New York and, and in Cleveland mm-hmm. after events. So after the draft, free agents, free agency, OTAs, uh, training camp, everything, we'd fill out an after action report. And, and the after action report is something that, that's big in the military. And the deal is for the enlisted men, they've got to give honest feedback and, and it can't be malicious. And for the officers, they've got to be open to that feedback and then they can't be punitive. And the idea is if you, if you, honestly assess an event and and you need to be honest about it you you need to be completely honest with what went right what went wrong what the preparation errors were the next time you face that event or next time you're coming up on that event you've got such a great opportunity to to take advantage of, of the experience that you had and 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 to me that's a a huge part of the process and even with game planning especially in the division you play them the first time and you do that that while it's fresh in your mind it gives you a a real head start uh, the next time you do it Mm -hmm. and and on a personal level i was in um i was in the back of the room one time at with this guy named roman pfeiffer great linebacker great person i think it was his 10th or 11th year at the time he'd been with with a few different teams and he was writing in his his notebook. And I said, um, what, what are you doing? Cause I could tell it wasn't, it wasn't just football plays that he was going through or, or the game plan. He said, I'm writing about my week. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the things I had for lunch or what time I got up or when I worked out or how I worked out or how I practice. And he said, this is just current me talking to future me. And, and when you think about it, can you really remember what you did mm. last week or last month? And so he would then go through and the next week, he'd look at the process that, that he had in place and the things that didn't, didn't produce success. 
he would try to remove and then he'd see whether or not by removing that it would change or he tried to do something the same and and that's how he stayed in the league as long as as he did and that's how he was constantly refining his own personal process yeah which is incredible too because jj right like uh that's that's a beautiful display of the discipline yeah well traders uh highly recommend like like i like i journal uh i know a lot of people i trade with journal and under the for the same reasons uh to go back review yourself hey how was i feeling during the day when i traded looking for different cues and refining your process uh, like you mentioned And, and i would think too the emotional element of that too were you were you frustrated? Were you anxious? Were you yeah. desperate to make a trade? Were you patient? Were you, you know, there's sometimes where you may be gun shy because you just got beat up on, on the last trade. Exactly. And yeah. How do you take that emotion out of it Yeah. and get to the space where I'm making this objectively and unemotionally because it's the best decision right now? Yep. Nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. And that's why we, uh, I always, I always compare because um, we have these, you know, these charts and you can replay them and you can actually watch the price action replay through the day. And I always say, it's like watching game film. Like, how did you know Mike Singletary every time, you know, someone was at that, at that gap, he was there. Like, you know, like how the hell did he know that he, you know, do you, cause he had, he had just prepared and prepared and, and that discipline um, that really, it, it, it means it brings a lot of difference. It's quite amazing. It, it's interesting when I, you know, I worked for, for, Bill, obviously, in Cleveland initially, and then went to Baltimore when the Browns became the Ravens with Ted Marchbroda. And he had a really interesting approach because I was, you know, going through volumes of things and he would actually just watch the human beings. And he wanted me to study very specific guys and just see what their tell was. And so, so it, and, and usually we'd start with the youngest guy. You start with the, the, the youngest player on defense, that was the offensive assistant at the time. And because they're the most nervous, they're the most uh, apt to give away the defense early because they, they, they don't want to be wrong. They don't want to make a mistake. So you're studying those guys first. And then we put together this list of not just what they do, but what they wouldn't do. So we'd eliminate a bunch of stuff based off of, of these keys that we got which then simplified things for quarterbacks. And then we try to tie in and see who had, who had the tell and, and, you know, just tying it back to poker some more, whenever you played Brady or, or Manning or, or any of the, the great quarterbacks, you know, our thing was, if you're not lying, you're not trying and, and you better give them stuff that they, they don't expect. Mm-hmm. Otherwise they've looked at the charts. Mm-hmm. They've reviewed the film. They've, yeah. they've, and, and they'll, they'll eat you up. Yeah. Th- th- and that, that's exactly what I think. Like, it, it, like equating it to poker, like, cause you, when you get to such a high level and he knows what I know and he know like the, 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 the metagame has to be, uh, you know, crazy going on and like, yeah, like the sharp, like just staying sharp, staying disciplined. Yeah. No, I, I'm sure just, you could get lost. You could get lost in the mind games. I'm sure. I, I'd be interested. So, so we're constantly talking to players about moving on to the next play. Yeah. And, and that that's a really hard thing to do. Sure. And uh, I think it was Dan O'Brien, the decathlon, uh, the athlete we had come speak. And, and he said there was a five second rule. So you had five seconds to either be happy or sad. And then life moves on and you got to go on to the next thing. And that's how he went from the ferry that he had. I think it was the 80 Olympics to having success in the next Olympics, getting that mindset. But when you when you mess up 
a trade or you make a mistake that is devastating, how do you get back to the mindset of that you need to be in to make the next trade as objectively? Yeah, well, I guess I'll answer first and I'll let you go, Jay. Um, I think if you're like if it's devastating, coach, like, like a real tough loss, I, I might just get away from the computer. I might just go for a walk and just like reset myself, especially if I recognize I'm not I'm, I'm emotional. Like if I'm angry, if I'm tense, like I, I know when I'm not in a good mindset, like I, I can recognize it because um, I know there was a time where I could fool myself that like, oh, no, 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 like. I've been trading for so long. I, I can do this, but no, like I really can't like, cause it's hard. You, that, that, that part of your brain shuts down. Like if you're really emotional, you're uh, I forget what the, the part of the brain is, but you, you like literally can't think logically um, or to your capacity of logic. So I, for me, it's always been like, I'll step back coach, but it has to be devastating. I, I can take losses pretty well now and just move on. Um, mm-hmm. at, at, you know, at, at my point, like if it's a, you know, standard loss, but if it's something that really wipes out a lot of money, yeah, that's tough, but that's why we have risk parameters and we hope we don't ever get in that type of situation. But yeah. What do you uh, think? Jay? I, yeah, I agree. Um, I'm cause I've been in the market since 1993. Um, and I I'm very, <laughs> I'm cheap. So with me, when it comes to losses, uh, I'll, I, one thing I had to do was develop discipline because I was an institutional guy and, uh, we really didn't have that much discipline. Retail is completely different because you're not allowed to cheat. You don't have any of the, you know, you don't have any of the tools that you have and the leverage and the capital. So you've got to be much smarter, get in and out. And, um, for me, if I take two or three trades, what I do is I, 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 I size small. And then if I'm good, then, you know, I'll keep going. If on very small amounts of money, if I'm not seeing the market well, I stop trading. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll, I'll go back to the drawing board and it's either something that I'm not seeing or it's some sort of a bias or something like that. Um, and because capital preservation is our biggest thing, right? Because you got to be able to have money to trade the next day when you actually can see it. Mm-hmm. You know? and then, let me ask you this. How do you, because... The, the thing that happens in sports too is you, you got to teach guys how to deal with adversity. Yeah. But you also have to teach people how to deal with success. And and Teddy Atlas, the famous boxing trainer said success is like a martini. It relaxes you. Mm. If you're hitting it, if things are going well, how do you know, do you, do you double down? Do you go with the oh. odd hand or how do you know? Okay. I, this, this, this way probably yeah. isn't going to last forever. I need yeah. to, I yeah. need to tempo it down. For me, I trade for income. Um, and I actually trade retail to real, for relaxation because I used to make markets and take companies public and then make a market to sell that stock into. So you're dealing with, you know, lots of people who have, you know, pretty, uh, pretty harsh agendas and it's very stressful. So this I find kind of relaxing. So what I do is I'll have like, you know, I'll do a couple of trades. I'll make a decent amount of money and I'll stop. And I, because I, I grew up in the business ever since I was young, I look at it as more of a business, um, you know, than, um, you know, it, it is gambling because we are speculating, but I, I always look at it from the business point of view. It's okay. I traded this. This was an inventory correction. Now, what are they doing on the other side? Now they're going to not, now it's going to be choppy. So I'm just going to sit back. Right. Um, it, it's knowing the market that you're in. And, and the other, the question I was asking Ray earlier, JJ, before uh, you got on is what, what's a, what's a win? Well, what's considered, if, if, if you were trading okay. daily, is it, so for a big play run could be 
four yards, you know, that yeah. could be a successful run. Yeah. And then say, you know, pass people have different parameters, but it, at what point is, is it a win and you take your win yeah. and you go home? Uh, for me, uh, I, I'm a big advocate of trading for income, especially in the markets that we're in. Um, so for me, if, you know, if I'll have sort of like a daily sort of target in the back of my head, it's not, it's not a hard target. It's not like I have to get there. But uh, what I do is I take usually two or three trades a day, no more than that. And um, so my goal is to make three to 500 bucks a day, mm-hmm. right? There's 20 trading days in a, in a month and that just pays all your bills, right? Yep. Uh, when markets are better and uh, there's more institutional participation and better order flow, then I'll adjust those models. And, you know, uh, and then like last March in 2020, you know, I was having really good days, but the volatility was there, the order flow was there and you were able to execute. So I'm a big advocate of knowing what kind of market you're trading in. Uh, It's just like business. You know, if you're, if you're selling sunglasses, uh, you don't want to be going to a place where it's rainy to try and sell sunglasses. (laughs) Right. And, and people just don't realize that it is a market. I mean, we really over fancify it, but you know, this thing started 300 years ago under a tree. And, uh, you know, trading is, is, is all about supply and, and the amount of order flow that's coming in. So if, it, if it's a heavy volume market and it's liquid and there's a lot of participants in it, uh, my, my, not my risk, but my profit expectations will be a bit higher. Right now, it's a very hit and run market. Uh, get in, get out, get paid uh, because the moves don't last very long. How do you account for, for the Reddit world? So my, I have a 17 year old son and he, he has a little investment account. He came down. He's like, Oh, I want to buy AMC. Oh yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, Jay, what do you like? What, what do you even know about? Oh, I think, you know, movies are coming back. Yeah. Okay. So I'm like, you're probably going to lose this money that I put in for you. And he's like, okay, that's, that's fine. I think. And so he went up like 300%. Mm-hmm. From, and, and now he thinks, you know, that he's ready for wall street. But it's, you know, now it's, yeah. I think he's back down to 150% gain, but it's it, how, like, how do you count for, for that world where it, it's not about fundamentals? It's not about no. anything besides emotion. Uh, for me, I find it fascinating because I see the shift um, in the mentality. My job was to figure out what people want and give it to them in the old days. Right. Um, so I would. You know, I'd look at a deal and say, okay, we got to market it this way, do the advertising this way and, and promote it this way to get people to buy the stock. So I look at this Reddit world now. Um, I, I think it's fascinating that these young kids are getting involved in investing at such a young age. You know, like I, I didn't really discover the markets until I was about 22 um, when I decided to get into it. But, you know, when I was 15, I was, you know, just having a good time, not even a care in the world. The last thing I was looking at was buying IBM. JJ, they're, they're investing yeah. in bankrupt yeah. companies, though, JJ. They are. They are. But it's a good, but it's, it's some of them will learn through this process. Sure. Right. Right. They're going to lose money. Some will make money. Some will lose money. But at least they're getting, they're getting used to the idea that, hey, you know what? There is a mechanism that if maybe if I figure out what I'm doing, right. Yeah, Um, yeah. you know, maybe that light bulb moment will come in and, you know, they'll they'll learn about how to manage their finances at a younger age. Because, I mean, when I was a teenager, I didn't I was just, you know, I was living minute to minute, you know, Um, so it's it's interesting to see. I I think it's fast. I think it's great. 
you know. But, uh, don't you think it's a little bit, Ray, and, and I don't, I'm speculating here on your world, but every gambler that I've ever talked to, I only hear about his good days. Like I very rarely hear about the yeah, days yeah. where they lost a ton of money. And and I wonder if I think sometimes with, with the Reddit world, people are only putting out when they exactly. win. Exactly. And so a lot of these kids aren't, you know, they exactly yeah. It, 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 well, it's a, almost a distorted reality. That's true. Well, because there there there's a there's a like you said, uh people are not gonna people are more apt to show their gains than their losses. I think too, it's a uh it's it's better marketed that way oh hey like it it, it, it's all because a lot of these people sell services a lot of these people you know it's a more marketing it sounds better um and as a gambler too i don't like this is just how i think and the thing with with trading two coaches there's so many different ways to skin a cat um and i don't know if there's a comparable to football maybe like how you might have different offensive schemes. Like you might have maybe a more a run heavy team than you have a more of a pat. Like there's different ways to win, right? Like there's not always yeah. just one blueprint to win. Uh, same with trading. Um, but for me, like I stay away from those. Cause like, I feel like most of the people invested in those things are not smart investors. And I don't want to be, uh, you know, cause with trading, I want to be, or gambling. I like to see what the sharp people are doing. The, the people who I respect, the smart people. And I try to align myself with them or at least give more weight to that. Hey, why is he looking at this? um and invest this way and, and I, I wanted I wanted to come back to something you were you were saying about dealing with wins because that, that really resonated with me and that's something that's always been really tough for me when I've been on hot streaks coach is because I start getting a big ego I think I'm God's greatest gift um and usually what happens afterwards is I go on a massive down streak <laughs> you know because I it get inflated it and I, I think it's like yeah like you can't get too high or too low and I'm sure you preach the same thing uh to the players because uh, when you're going good, it's maybe it's even more troublesome than when you're bad. Because sometimes getting your ass kicked wakes you up a little bit. Yeah, it's it's dealing with with success is 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 really a, a skill set. And we were the last team to repeat in New England in what is it twenty plus years? Oh, yeah, because because what happens is you go into the next season and everybody thinks they're the reason that you won. Everybody wants to get a raise everybody wants a new contract everybody's out doing commercials or doing other things building their brand that type of thing and and what you don't realize is that now all the things that you did well the year before you have to do better because everybody is is chasing you everybody is studying studying you and everybody is playing up to you and and that's a that's a real tough lesson to learn and a, and, a, and a tough thing to go through and we won the first super bowl in new england we ended up missing the playoffs the following year we started great then we went through a, a rough patch and we finished nine and seven the jets finished nine and seven the dolphins finished nine and seven and we got knocked out of the playoffs and we learned from that experience of of, of what how we need to do adjust to success because you know, we're able to do it successfully, do it well, and won back-to-back Super Bowls the the following two years. But it's it, it's it's difficult because when you're successful too, everybody thinks they're a little smarter than they are. You know, everybody thinks they're they they might have the the secret sauce or the formula, and and the reality is you have to start over the next the next season. You you don't get to start where you left off. Yeah. And, and it's, um, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to teach. 
Sure. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Coach, you know, like football, man, like football is so, I think this is what makes it a great sport is the swings football, like an in-game football can go from like looking great. to now you're down to interception. Like the, the swings are, are nuts. How was it for you? Like as the head coach, especially trying to, to, to stay even keel um, for the team and just to make good decisions. It's funny, right? Because I got criticized both in New York and Cleveland for not being more demonstrative on the sideline. I know, I know, and, I remember. And, and and here, here is what I what I've learned, or what I learned both in with Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, is if if you're caught up in a celebration of a of a touchdown or something that happened, or you're in the tank because something bad happened, you're not processing what actually happened. You're not sitting down with the players and going through okay, this is what we need to fix, or this is what we need to attack, or this is the situation that's coming up. It took a lot of discipline to take the emotion out of it, but I felt like as a coaching staff and, and as a leader, it was my responsibility to be able to, to give the guys the best, most meaningful information in the moment, as opposed to you know getting kind of caught up and derailed. And you'll see coaches get derailed where, then they miss something situationally that came, comes up or, um, you know, a guy's celebrating a sack and during a two minute drive and the, the offense is getting set up and it's like, yeah, how does this happen? How does this, how could this, this possibly happen? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause you, you, you'll see coaches and I, I mean, even as a fan and I always try and like reserve judgment, right? Because it's like, listen, I'm not a coach. I'm not there every day with the players and stuff, but I, I know some fans just go bonkers. Right. But no, but it's pretty obvious. There's some coaches that are just so bad at in-game management or just in-game decisions. And, it, and it's very uh, baffling almost, um, you know, so I, I don't know if that's. It, their, it, their it is baffling. Yeah. Ray, but I can tell you, it's a lot easier now to make those decisions on my couch. than sure, it is right? when yeah. you're, you're in the moment, there's 70,000 people screaming, you're, you're, you know, the, the situation is changing you know, rapidly and you're trying to, to sure. navigate through it. You, you, I think there's, I think there's a space for, for building uh, training protocols to go through those situations uh, it, it, so that you can do it in the off season, almost like a, like a training simulator. Yeah. I don't think anybody's, you know, we, we, we worked on something like that, uh, in New York and, and Cleveland. I don't, I don't think it's, it's there yet though. Okay. But you've got to be able to process that stuff very quickly with a lot of, a lot, a lot going on. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that's what I was going to ask you. I, I wasn't sure if that was something you guys did like practice or, or, or go over um, because, you know, cause it's similar, you know, listen, like I've never done it. Right. But like trading poker, certain things, like you have to make timely decisions. Like you don't have forever to make it. You have to make a, a quick decision. And, and I think there's a way to, to, to train on that. Well, Hooray, I had, I hired the guy who was the head of officials for the NFL who had retired mm -hmm. um, head of replay. He had been the head of replay to be my replay guy in, in Cleveland. And there were times okay. where he got it wrong. Yeah. You know, this is the, this is the person who ran the, the program. Yeah. And, and this is no knock on him. This is, it's not an easy job, but, when you're watching through a camera and slow motion and you've got multiple angles, it's easier than if you're watching from the booth and you sure. may or may not have a good feed and it depends how many cameras are at the game. But seeing him struggle at times, I thought, okay, this, this, is a, this isn't as, as easy as, as we sometimes make it out to be. Sure, sure. 
Um, I, I think a probably an, another huge part that correlates with trading is, you know, we could come in, you know, have a plan with a trade, then things go totally different than we, we expected, right? Like, so you might come into to a football game, you guys have a game plan. Maybe the defense is showing you a different looks than you expected, or the offense is coming up with different plays. How important was in-game adjustments uh, for you, um, and, or just in football in general? It's it's really important, and and it's um, you know, there, there's different levels of that. There's the the scheme perspective in terms of what you're doing, and then there's the the things that happen when someone gets hurt. Mm-hmm. So you practice during the week, you've got one guy who gets the bulk of the reps, there's a backup, he's got to go in, he's got certain limitations. Now you've got to adjust what you can and can't run. So there's 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 variables on top of the variables. And, you know, I, I always thought Mike Shanahan was one of the greatest coaches at, at forcing you into adjustments. And, and what Mike would do, Nice. Is it didn't matter what you what what he had done the week before, it mattered what weaknesses you had shown on tape. And there's one year we went up and played him in Denver, and we had two adjustments out of empty, and he played 65 snaps of empty, because then he had certainty. He knew whether we were pressuring or whether we were in zone defense. And the week before, he'd played the whole game out of 22 against the Ravens, and that uh, I think I got the years right. 22 is two backs, two tight ends, like big people. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, you, you think you know what you're going to get from the offense, but when you coach defense, everything is a reaction to, to what they do. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Cause yeah, they're, they're on the offense, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. They control the cadence. They control the yeah. personnel group. They control uh, formations, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, Shanahan. Uh, it's hoping the Jets, because the Jets now kind of coaching staff has some links to the Shanahan's coming over from San Francisco. So I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping it's well, looking good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Kyle, Kyle's a little bit different than than his dad. I mean, there's oh, elements yeah? of that, but you know, a little bit different offensive philosophy. And uh, I don't know if you're going to get get apples to apples. Well, okay, so so yeah, no, I'm just curious from from your perspective. Obviously, you know a lot more. So what's the difference between him and his father? you think like scheme wise or, or philosophy wise? Uh, I, you know, similar to, to how we were in new England where, where everything is game plan specific. Yeah. So as much as you want to sit and watch new England and say, okay, in the last four games, they've done this. So by percentage, we can expect, you know, this number of blitzes or, or offensively, we can expect this amount of empty. That's not the case. We were always going to be, we were going to do what we needed to do to beat you on that Sunday. And that's what made Mike so difficult. I think Kyle has more, he, he's still game plan specific and, and very bright and very good at what he does, but there, there's more of a core that carries gotcha. over from, from week to week. Got you. And, and I got to imagine like, you know, it's probably why teams have had so, such a hard time against the Patriots. Like, uh, I guess not having a, a, a quote unquote style or an approach and, and being like, you know, adapting to your opponent and, and coming with that. Is, is that something you took when you uh, went to the jets? Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. It's um, so, so everybody talks about being game plan specific and they are in the sense that they will take things out of their playbook that work best against that opponent, but truly being game plan specific, you need, you need guys that are very bright and you sure. need guys that are that, that can 
adjust mentally during the the course of the of the week. So we'll come through, and and it could be radically different than what it was the week before. And and for some teams, if they're not used to that, uh, you know, or players that aren't used to that, it's it's really hard because it, it's a volume. But we you know we drafted a certain type of player, and then we trained a certain type of way. So that that was our norm, which made it easier. And you hear people say, we're going to do what we do. Well, that, that's great until someone does what you do better than you do. And you've yeah. got no second pitch. Yeah. You know, and and we that's not how we were going to operate. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Get, getting players who, who understand what you're trying to do from like a scheme perspective or what you guys are trying to achieve uh, makes makes total sense. Right. You move in in unison. So, uh, you know, another another similarity with football and trading, um, I think is huge is is learning how to deal with losses. Um, and I know we kind of touched about this like a little bit like the emotional aspect. But but how did you deal with losses, um, you know, especially like knowing that you put in like so much preparation during the week? And like I, I'm assuming you gave it your all just to come out with a loss. It was it, it's it's a uh, one of the downsides is that the wins, like the feeling that you have that the, after the wins that that lasts for like this amount of time. And unfortunately the feeling you have after the loss lasts a lot longer mm. and you hear about hangovers. And we all know that, you know, that hangover can last a lot longer than maybe the night before did. And I, I think there's, there's some, some similarities there, but you, you're, you're, you're constantly coaching and teaching and talking to the players about being able to, to move on. And, and usually because, you've got such a big amount of work and information to process and put in place the next week after about that Monday, Tuesday phase, and you start working on the next team, the, the challenge of the next week helps, helps overcome the, the loss. But, but what you want, you want it to hurt. Like if, if you have players that it doesn't hurt, then, then that's a, a whole nother problem. Yeah. 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 Sure. Sure. You know, coach, I haven't, haven't worked for different organizations, different coaches um, over the years. How, how much of there is there a discrepancy of uh, maybe football methodology and like how maybe like Belichick would go about something and then maybe like an, another coach you played for? Or is there more similarities than that? Well, I'd say it's it's can be radically different. Mm-hmm. And and I've talked about New England with with New England, there's no there's no officers club. Okay, you don't the, the, that doesn't exist, and it's it's not for everyone. It, it's a demanding environment. It's consistently demanding, so it's not like uh, you you get these this time to to unwind. Um, you're gonna be you're gonna be held accountable, and you're gonna held be held accountable, oftentimes in in a public way. And there are incredible expectations. And there's also, I think one of the things that makes Bill so good at what he does too, is, is there is a, a ruthlessness to, to personnel decisions that may not exist other places. And, and I don't say that in a negative way. You know, we, we want our coaches and our decision makers to make the best decision for the group. But sometimes that's an emotional decision that the fan base and, and even the team can have a really hard time with. You know, Bill cut Bernie Kosar 
in Cleveland, who was as beloved a quarterback as, as you could get and several players in New England. I mean, he moved on from Tom Brady. So, but that, that ability to, to do that is a positive, but very hard to, to do. Um, and other places, are, there's places that are radically different. There's places that it's much lighter. It's much more relaxed. It's much, um, uh, it's a it's a much more understanding environment, and and there's something to be said for that. And and personalities fit in places uh, very differently as well. But I'd say that the the sort of unique uh, environment in New England has helped it have sustained success. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I was. You know, I was, you know, thinking about the Jets last coach, man, and I, I know the fan base obviously didn't like him. I, I mean, I just think just like his method, like because there was a lot of times he would um, and maybe this was the way the media would spin things. You know, I, I don't know. But he would say like uh, he would say things like, hey, the players got to play like almost like saying like blaming his like schemes on the players almost. And like I get that, like the players do have to play, but you got to put your players in the best position possible I mean that's your job as a coach right like to get the best out of your players and I think that's something like Bill is least known for doing well like he's putting the players in good positions for them to succeed yeah it, and and look having success early in New England so we went five and eleven the first season and we were one and three and Bill when he was in Cleveland had one winning season five years as a head coach and people yeah. forget that people yeah, sure. forget you mm-hmm. know you think of of where he is now when we went to New England they hated us. They didn't want us there. And, and the first year kind of played into, into that situation, but we're consistent with what we were able to do. And then we're able to, to, to win. And then that allowed the framework to be in place for the environment that that's there now that continues to allow them to win, but trying to transition a new organization who, who, you know, isn't used to that type of discipline. There's a lot of pushback. And, and if you don't, win early there's less and less patience for 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 establishing an organization and i I talk about it with owners you know they want you to cook a turkey but they want it cooked in a microwave and it's just not realistic (laughs) yeah if you're looking for long-term sustainable success is there is there a lot of discrepancy too like between maybe like ownership um and what they want uh at times um and like hampering on coaches and really you know, cramping, I guess, like how you want to run the organization. Well, here's a piece of advice I got very early on This said, you know, when you go home at night, you, you need to be happy with your assistant coaches. And if they don't like it, tell them to go get their own head coaching job. And he said, but when the owner goes home at night, he needs to be happy with you. And if you don't like it, go buy your own team. Mm-hmm. So that's the reality. That's the world we all live in. We all have a boss and, um, you know, I, I loved talking to the owners because I thought, okay, if you've achieved this level of success in, in your industry, you're obviously extremely bright. You've dealt with tremendous amounts of, of difficult situations. You, you've had to navigate through, through all kinds of changes. What, what can I learn from you? Now, there are times where, you know, the football world, the sports world, it's, it doesn't, 
it, it doesn't match up with the business world in, in, in the way that it operates. Yeah. And owners sometimes from a football perspective, it, it's like doing business in China. You're mm-hmm. at the mercy of the, of the um, translator. Exactly. So whoever they're getting information from can affect maybe how they relate to you. So I, so yeah, th- there's definitely challenges from a, from an ownership perspective, but it's also their right. Yeah, it's, it's that's their true. Right. Yeah, it's really, that's a really cool statement because I always look at, you know, like someone like Arthur Blank, who, you know, who owns the, the, um, the Atlanta team, you know, he created Home Depot right? With Ken Langone. I mean, these guys sink, you know, they, they are probably responsible for creating the marketing for the whole home improvement market, which, you know, the size of that market, you know, and, and positioned Home Depot to be right at the epicenter of it and benefit from it. That's very cool. So, you know, you can, that, that's, that's really great because, you know, it'd be just to spend an hour with someone like that. Well, you, you know, for someone like me, is, you know, JJ, you know what? You know, it's interesting. The the Carolina Carolina's owner, uh, uh, something Tepper, Jake Tepper, Jack Tepper. He's uh, he was a hedge fund. He That's right. Fund yeah, there, yeah. Uh, on Carolina, so I'm really I'm really interested to see how he takes that trader mindset into being an owner. Yeah. Um. So I, I think that's gonna be interesting. I'm definitely interested to see how Carolina uh, performs as an organization. Um, I, Steve Cohen with the bets. When, when I talk to owners too, and and um, and I'm not vested in, in, in their decision. I, you, I tell them that the most important thing that they can have is someone who, t- who will tell them the truth because everybody in their world has an agenda. Sure. Everybody has something that, that they want from them. And the only way that they can actually leverage their experience, their knowledge, their, their wealth of, of, of decision-making is if they're getting good information, if they're getting the, the truth, and, and I also say like, you, you gotta be okay with getting the truth. You may not like what you're going to hear sometimes, but, but you need someone that's going to give you that information so that you can actually be effective as an owner and, and use what you have to help your organization be successful. Yeah. Yeah. So, so coach, I was actually, um, last week I watched it for the first time. I don't know if you've seen it. It was a documentary on HBO it had uh, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick them, you know, sitting, talking, uh, you know, about coaching, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, one of the topics they brought up was, was coaching in like this social media age. Um, and maybe the challenges did do, I don't know if you've talked with people about this, maybe some of the different challenges that you might have to deal with, maybe the players um, then, you know, even during your time. Yeah, I think it, I, it's hard because in, in a team environment, you're always trying to teach we before me. And the idea of, of team success helps individual success. But there's such a premium now on building your brand, promoting your identity, yeah. promoting the things that, that you're doing, which there, there's nothing wrong with that. But it can, it can really make it difficult to, to crack through and 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 let people see the bigger picture and and uh, I think people in general have a, a difficult time seeing the world through any lens be, besides their own and then when the focus is so much on you 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 it's hard to get them to to we and and to see the value 
of we and and there's so much information out there and the information comes very quickly and situations can escalate um dramatically with, within minutes where years ago things were were fairly contained and and there may be some more time to process events before it's out in the world and everybody's commenting on it yeah yeah it's got to be unique and different experience just you know and i guess it goes back to just adapting right it's like hey the, like, the world's always going to change football's going to change adapting to it um so coach like trading i i believe football mirrors life um you know in certain respects uh I've learned, I know I've learned a lot about myself through trading a ton when playing football. Um, is it, what have you learned about yourself via, by, through football being a head coach? Well, you know, I, my kids have, have played football. My, um, my oldest isn't playing now, but he played for a few years. My middle one is my youngest one is, and I had such a, a great experience being part of a team. I had, um, you know, whether it was, was my high school coach and, and I went to an inner city school and had all the, the inner city challenges that you have. And, and my coach, Graham Martin, was, was one of those people. He's firm. He was fair. He was consistent. And he would, old, he would hold everybody the same standard. He would give everybody the same opportunity. He would set a really high bar. And more often than not, people would, would raise up to that bar that he set and he'd affect thousands and thousands of life and, and and that impacted me and and going through the process of winning a super bowl i remember uh, in new orleans walking across the the superdome and there's there's confetti on the floors with my wife and there's no more games to play there's no more practices to get ready for there's no more tape to break down and we were we were the best in the world at what we did and i was part of something that was bigger than myself and that was was a really rewarding moment, not just in sports, but but in in life. And I think that's the value of that sports can give you. And I think sports is another really unique opportunity to break down um, barriers, stereotypes, prejudices, because most locker rooms are a cross section of society. There's white, black, there's old, young, East Coast, West Coast, all different religions. And then you come together to th through a sport to as a team, and you realize that that person is not that different than I am, and and my preconceived notions were, were wrong, and 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 I love that aspect of sports, bringing people together that that maybe never would have been together, and breaking down some some stereotypes that shouldn't be there in the first time for our, our first place. So th those those are some of my. Uh, things that I love. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree anymore. Yeah, the, 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 com the camaraderie bringing people from all different backgrounds together to achieve uh, an objective together, something bigger than yourselves. Yeah, beautiful. Well said. I mean, you, my son, my son's seven years old. He's playing. He's just starting this year. Um, and like, yeah, that's what I was telling him. And he, he's loving he's loving the camaraderie with the teammates. You know what I mean? Like, the, the you know, the, the joking around, but like them going to achieve it together coach I, I know I, I think you mentioned your your boys or at least a couple of them play football um well I, I couldn't imagine what it's like to be the coach of their teams like knowing that you're one of the uh <laughs> one of the parents so he must be nerd like shitting himself I don't know like, to make a decision. <laughs> what, what's that like for you <laughs> uh well 
But they haven't asked for a lot of feedback from me, so I, I guess that they've got it all figured out. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm I'm very happy to 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 be a dad and and watch them you know do what they do and then help them whenever whenever they need help. It's funny though. I remember you know, my I think it was my middle son was was out uh, working on throwing. This is when he was was younger, mm-hmm. and uh, I came out and I said, "Oh, you know." He's, why don't you try this with your with your hands and your feet should go here and then here's the follow through. He's like, yeah, you know, Dad, my gym teacher told me to do it this other way. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, look, there's not a lot of things in life I may be able to help you with, but this is one of them. Exactly. This this is an area I I promise you I can help you in. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm sure JJ, you've gone through this with, with your kids where they'll listen to everybody else. Sometimes before they listen to you and then they'll well, circle back to you. I'm not responsible enough to have had children, but <laughs> oh, okay. uh, yeah, but I, I do understand because when I'm, you know, when I'm teaching people how to trade, uh, they'll be like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, really. Cause you know, it's, this is going to happen. They're like, no, no. I'm like, well, I used to do this. So, you know, right at this time of the day, this is when I knocked the market down and oh, well, there it is, you know? So it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting observation. Yeah, yeah I, I got to get out of you know. Sometimes be like, yeah, you know, Jake, I you know, I won three Super Bowls, but I, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, but you're right. Yeah, you got you're it. probably right. You're probably you're probably right. right. Yeah. I mean, you're 15 years old. But you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. What do I know? Uh, it's just a funny, a funny dynamic sometimes between uh, you know parent and child. You know, uh, uh, who knows, man? I, you know. Uh, coach the best jet I think during my lifetime and I love Curtis Martin he was my favorite player growing up uh, I love Curtis but I honestly I think it's probably Darrell Revis at least at like at his peak I, I believe you and Tannenbaum drafted him correct mm-hmm. you guys drafted Revis literally yeah, we, uh, hall of, yeah he's a hall of famer in my opinion he should be a hall yeah. of fame pick great job by you guys what did you guys see when you drafted Revis uh we actually that was interesting. That was one of those situations where we had set up the trade the night before with Carolina. Mm-hmm. We, we said, okay, if our guy is there, you know, we want to move up to your spot. I think it was 13 or 14 and everything was in place, but it was all contingent on us having our player on the board, which was, which was Darrell and Darrell. There are certain things that, that I looked for. I wanted someone about five and 11 and a half, about 195, you know, from a height weight, uh, and, and a certain speed mm-hmm. just because that was in my experience, the ideal, you know, combination. And then it was, it was the intangibles of uh, you know, th- there's a whole list that, that we had and he had checked all of those boxes. And then it's, can you play man to man? Can you play in the deep part of the field? Can you tackle? Those are the big three of DBs. And as we went through the, the stages it was check, 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 you know, each box was checked off and there wasn't a box that we looked at where we thought, okay, this is going to be a, a, a liability or a weakness. We, it was all strengths. Yeah. I mean, obviously incredible pick. I mean, I guess from, cause I know you've, you've coached some good defenses. I, I'm pretty sure. I think Ty law was on those, those Super Bowl teams. Yeah, um, I had Ty law at Laura Malloy, Rodney Harrison, uh, Sante Samuel. Um, yeah. Revis, I'm sure I'm forgetting uh, some some different guys, but we, we had a we had a really talented group over the years. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Revis, and I could be biased, you know, I'm not I'm not asking you to pick pick here, but I, I think Revis at his prime was probably, I mean, 
some of those years he was locking down the best in the game, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones. I remember some of these games very vividly where, and he was one-on-one with these guys. I mean, that's rare to find. I mean, you're, you're the best receivers in the NFL. Um, I, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I, like as far as like top corners you've, you've coached. Uh, well, look, what I'd say about Ty Law is, is Ty, and they're both from the same, from the same area in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. um, I think it's the same, the same town actually, but Ty had. Mike Dicka, Mike Dicka's from there too. Oh, really? That they're all from the, yeah. Oh, like Alapica or Alapa, something like that. Yeah. yeah West, um, West Pennsylvania. Ala, Alaquipa. Yeah. Alaquipa. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. And what I'll say about Ty is Ty had unbelievable ball skills. Yeah. He did. So he yeah. was able to, his, his instincts, his ability to catch the ball, those those were unique and ty had a very very short memory and and there was an unpredictableness to the way that he played that that made it you know sometimes really hard on me and also uh hard on on opposing quarterbacks uh but the the ball skills i'd say if if darrell had one thing there's maybe a a little bit less than than ty it would it would be that but um you know we're 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 shaving Nip, you know, yeah yeah, yeah. very small edges yeah yeah no no, no exactly i, I just uh, I mean, asante samuel too was a guy who had unbelievable instincts on and great ball skills amazing and yeah, yeah he, he was a guy we picked up in the fourth round that um this unique that way yeah, I, I mean, I, I give cornerbacks the, the utmost respect, especially like the top notch ones. It's got to be probably one of the hardest, if not the hardest position to play uh, on the football field. I mean, I, I at least think so, you know. Um, well, you talk about that that short memory. Yeah. You better have a short memory if you play cornerback because in the NFL, once they see a weakness, it's like sharks to blood. You're going to get it over and over and over again. So if, if you go in the tank after giving up a big play – that you you are guaranteed to get multiple big plays because they're they're gonna attack you. Yeah, there's yeah. no forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, maybe maybe someone like uh, you know JJ. He um, I don't know if you know, but um, I I don't know if it was your last year there, coach. But uh, Brett uh, Brett Favre, uh, the coach uh, had Brett Favre to New York for a year. Um, that struck me something Brett Favre was good at. He could have like the worst games. I'm not maybe not with the Jets, but like you throughout his career, he would have just terrible games throwing three, uh, like three, four picks, and he comes back and leads them, uh, like lead Green Bay to, you know, a win or something. And that he always strike me as somebody who could just shrug it, shrug it off and go back out and still gunsling. Yeah. Brett, Brett was uh, incredible like that. He could, yeah. he could throw two picks and line up and do it again. And, wow. and that's <laughs> a gift. That's a gift too. That's a, that's, I, Definitely. I admire people who were able to, to, to shake things off so quickly and, and chalk it up to what it, what it is. Hey, I made a mistake and I'm going to go out and, mm-hmm. and take my shot the next time because, you know, we, we miss opportunities by not shooting too. Definitely. You, you, you absolutely do. And I think the opportunity costs could be huge that way. Uh, like the, and I know they've done like uh, analytic studies and stuff of this, but like, yeah, like, like being aggressive in like hitting a good play like that is worth more than a lot of times than the downside of maybe throwing a pick, I, you know, it's, it's situational in, in game dependent, but you know, I find these things interesting. Cause I think, yeah, the opportunity cost of being scared can cost you a win and you see it a lot too. And that's, that's one thing that I, I get frustrated with is coaches that play, they don't play to win. They play not to lose. 
And I, I mean, I could I, say maybe if, if you have a roster that way. Yeah. What, what do you think, Coach? Well, I, I hear you, but I think what happens, what you'll find in the NFL is more games are lost than they're won. Okay. And, and um, that's one of the first things you have to do as a team is you have to not lose the game. You can't have the self-inflicted wounds, and sure. And we we're just—I was just talking about that study that that you mentioned, where big plays versus interceptions, and the the correlation between turnovers differential and, and win percentage is pretty dramatic. Yeah. So it's hard for me to think that the big plays would offset that, but I, I know there's a lot of research going into it. But once, you, before you even get to the point where you can win the game, you just got to make sure that you're not doing things to lose the game penalties turnovers um you know uh, substitution errors th- things like yeah. that those self-inflicted wounds will will kill you and 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 going back to to brett Favre, i remember having a conversation with him just being like look everything doesn't have to be a home run you know you can <laughs> some doubles are pretty good and and yeah. a single's not yeah. bad either yeah. you know I, I i love that we're hitting home runs but you know, if we can limit the, you know, at least bring the strikeouts down a little bit, that'd be great too. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, I, I guess uh, last question, Coach. I'll let you get going. Uh, any thoughts? How, how do you think the Jets? I'm excited. You know, um, but it's always a thing with the Jet fans. It's like, oh, you know, you know how it's been. You know, it's been rough the last few years. I, I'm excited. I like. I like some of the players. The quarterback's looking good so far. Do you have any any thoughts on the Jets this year? Yeah, what's that disclaimer like at the bottom of every trading thing that current, <laughs> this is not financial current, <laughs> current results are not the uh, uh, past results are not indicative of, of uh, future performance? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's the thing is as fans, sometimes there's this feeling like we're cursed or it's never gonna happen. That that that's not how it works. Each yeah. each year is its own individual entity, its own moment in time and you know, the, the Jets have have an uphill battle because you do have a, a new head coach. You've got a rookie quarterback. That rookie quarterback has the pressure of where he was drafted. He has the pressure of New York. Yeah. He doesn't really have an established veteran who's who's nurturing him in that locker room, you know, that you, you know, that sometimes they traditionally have. Yeah. And then you've got three teams in the division that have have complicated defensive schemes, have aggressive defensive schemes. And, you know, the last guy started seeing ghosts and, and hopefully as a young player, you're not going to get to that point where you get a little shell shocked early. Um, but I, I'd say go in, be optimistic, make sure you give them, you know, every benefit of the doubt and, and, and see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it can't get worse than it was last year. Um, <laughs> it can always get worse. Ooh, ouch uh, i hope not coach i'm not saying i'm not saying i'm not commenting on the current sure but I, i've heard people say well it can't get any worse it's like i can yeah 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 well hey that, that's why man i i football man it's just a great sport though even if the jets are, are not good I, I just enjoy watching all the teams uh football seems like it's really progressing well or it not, maybe not prog- yeah progressing or or changing um, and, and it's kind of exciting and coach, it does seem like, um, you know, I, I said that was gonna be the last question, but, uh, I think, I think I've been noticing, um, and we're seeing is a lot of these young players are coming out of college and performing well right away. I mean, I think specifically some of the quarterbacks and the, and the receivers, I think a lot of these rookie receivers have been coming out. Well, uh, do you think there's any correlation there or it's just maybe just been the recent years? 
it's 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 a little different for for each guy. That that transition from college football to pro football is, is difficult. You figure you go from being the the big man on campus, you know, the coaching staff, you know, the scheme, you know, the area that you lived in, all those things. And and we've all started new jobs. You got to go through the process of who's coaching me, where do I go? I got to get a house to live in. I mean, there's all the life things that go into it. Yeah, sure. Then you've got to learn the playbook and, and guys learn at different levels. There's some guys that, that are hard learners. There's some guy and, and you, there's a, there's a, um, a need to quickly identify a guy as a bust or a guy as a, as a, as a success, but you got to give the, the kids like the, the kids, the younger players, you know, two, three years before you really get a sense of, of where they're going. We talked about it earlier. Who, who has the character, who has the work ethic, who's, who's listening to the coaches, who's getting better every day. Um, and, and you'll see guys pop in year two that you thought, no, oh, that guy yeah. wasn't going to be any good. And then you see other guys regress because, you know, the, the league catches up with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And like, yeah, you're, you're as much as a, a football, you're a football coach. And then you have like, you got to manage the different pieces too. Uh, you know, your different coaches, the different players. I'm sure it's a lot to handle. How, how did you, uh, was it overwhelming at times for you or, and how did you deal with all the moving pieces? You know, that, that's one of the things that, that probably made the decision to go away from investment banking so attractive is because, because football did offer a, a lot of different things. And, and yeah. um, when you have, you have the team, but then you've got, you've got all the other parts that, that come into your world, whether it's PR, the training staff, the scouting staff, uh, the equipment staff, uh, operations that they're all part of, of, of the, the organization, the family, and, and your decisions affect them. I'd say one of the hardest things for me was you care about people and you have relationships with people, but then you've got to make decisions for the greater good. And sometimes you got to tell people that you really like that it's, it's over for them at the place that they're in. And, and I'd say that was probably the, the worst part of it and and you really had to sit back and and try to see the world through everybody else's lens and and see it through a big picture and then convey that to people that that maybe weren't open to it you know yeah that, that was challenging too yeah and no, I, I i couldn't imagine it's got to be a tough one so i think we'll wrap it up there it's going to conclude today's episode of professions of a market maker <laughs> if you guys enjoyed the podcast please rate and review it for us if you'd like to join a supportive professional group of traders, you can join JJ and I at microefutures.com. Coach, uh, let the listeners know where they can find you and uh, anything else you want them to know. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm typically on FS1 on the, on the shows there. You know, I yep. do some some work with, with companies from a, uh, from a training perspective, uh, if, the, if there's interest there. But um, uh, my, my base is, is Fox, so... That, that's yeah. where you can find me most often. Go, go tune in, watch him on Fox. He's, he's, he's always giving the, the, the sound advice. You know, some of, some of the other guys, I don't know what they're talking about sometimes, but <laughs> the coach is giving you the, you know, the real, the real info, you know, the perspective of a head coach, JJ part words. Well, coach, I, I got to I got to say this, my, my best friend Mooner, who was our center. Um, he is the, um, 
most diehard Jets fan up here in Canada. Okay. And take so much grief for it. So I, I just wanted you to, you know, f- from him to you just to say hi, because if he kill me, if I didn't mention. Uh, <laughs> and, and his name, his name is what? Uh, we call him Mooner because uh, he was our center and he's got this big chubby face that looks like a moon. <laughs> so that's what one of the coaches called him back in, in high school and it's stuck. <laughs> well, Mooner, I, I can relate to having a chubby face. So, so I feel you there and I appreciate all the, the, uh, the support that you've given the team over the years. I love, I love the Jet fans that they're, they're passionate, they're smart. And uh, they're going to hold you accountable. And I'm sure Mooner's the same way. <laughs> he is. He is. All right. All right. Look Thank at you. Shout out to the Jet fans. Love, love to see it, man. Exactly. All right. So so for Coach, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. You stop so.